Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Wednesday, June 8th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, cultural news, and hot topic issues in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Madison Colombo. And I'm Robin Shannon. Coming up, we'll have some features and interviews from WFUV reporters. But Madison and I are here to check today's headlines for you. Mayor Adams is visiting Washington, D.C. to address a House committee on gun violence. During his speech, Adams says America has to decide what's more important, to protect gun manufacturers or protect the lives of children. There were also victims of the Uvalde and Buffalo shootings who testified along with Adams. It comes as Democrats have been pressing for action and calling for stricter gun control in the wake of both mass shootings. Republicans also have witnesses testifying today, Madison, including members of Women for Gun Rights. So, Madison, musicians are calling out SOS as money that helped them whether the COVID pandemic is set to expire. The Save Our Stages Act provides performers, art organizations, and venues with grants. The money is to help pay for rent, utility payments, and other living expenses. While clubs, concert halls, and other venues can use it for payroll costs, for example. Yeah, and supporters say while the city is bouncing back, artists and others behind the scenes are still struggling financially since ticket sales are still low and people aren't coming out to performances. Yeah, they say extending the grants to March of next year is an investment in New York City culture. So, Madison, do you have any pets? I have a whole aquarium at home. (laughs) Well, those who want fluffier companions won't be able to get them from pet stores in New York. The legislature approved a bill forbidding the sale of dogs, cats, and rabbits in pet stores. Supporters of the bill say pet store animals face horrible neglect, can be abused, suffer diseases, and can cost unsuspecting pet owners hundreds or thousands of dollars in vet bills. But Madison critics of the bill are calling it an overreach and say it'll close responsible pet stores. Still, the measure isn't a done deal yet. It needs to be signed by Governor Hochul. Tonight's opening night for the Tribeca Film Festival. There are over 151 filmmakers from 40 countries, and this year, 64% of the films are directed by women, BIPOC, and LGBTQ filmmakers. The festival goes until June 19th, and tonight's film is Halftime, a documentary about Bronx native Jennifer Lopez. Well, it's out with the old and in with the new is a familiar expression in the world of fashion but it comes at a cost. Over 200,000 tons of textiles pile up in New York City's landfills every year. But sustainability organizations like Donate NYC and the Sanitation Foundation have found some stylish solutions to stop this growing problem. WFUV's Nicoletta Papavasilakis attended a fashion show in Brooklyn that reuses fabric that would otherwise be thrown away. After clothing is trashed, it's not truly gone. It is sent to landfills where it can take up to 200 years to decompose. And these fabrics don't look so flattering on the environment either. They release methane gas into the air. Their toxic chemicals and dyes seep into the soil. Julie Baskin is the executive director of the Sanitation Foundation. She says their goal is to send zero waste to landfills. But that really means doing everything we can to recycle, uh, to reuse items, to um, avoid single-use plastics. According to Baskin, textile waste isn't the first thing that comes to mind when thinking about the environment. But in fact, it has a huge impact on the metropolitan area. Textile waste is actually um, one of the waste streams that people don't think about very much. But in fact, New Yorkers throw out more than 200,000 tons of clothing a year. Dresses, scarves, handbags, shoes, and other materials pile up in New York's landfills. Donate NYC and the Sanitation Foundation are trying to encourage ways to repurpose these clothing items instead. Baskin offered up some ways people can revamp their closets with eco-friendly flair. Shopping secondhand or donating your goods or um, getting scrappy and coming to one of our sewing workshops and learning how to make your own clothing from what you've got. 
or just you know patronizing the brands that we think are doing the right thing about waste. Their organization also puts on a refashion show, which highlights stylists and designers who are using innovative ways to give old textiles and materials new life. Baskin says the show has become quite competitive. This is our fourth year doing it, so we've started to build up a little bit of a reputation, and I think people in the community kind of look out for this opportunity. So we had a panel of judges. Everybody had to submit their designs and their, their kind of backgrounds and their portfolio, and it was, it was really, really challenging, but we came up with eight amazing artists. Of those eight artists, the winning designer of the refashion show was Medea Muhammad. But fashion designer isn't the first title she would use to describe herself. Yeah, I. it's so funny because uh, my sister was like the first person to call me a fashion designer. I did not call myself that for a very long time. <laughs> Instead, she considers herself a fabric alchemist. When you think about what alchemy is, they're taking, you know, one metal or one element and like transforming it into something else, right? Taking something older and creating something new from it, which in a sense is kind of what I'm doing here. A major component of Muhammad's fashion practice is using so-called monomaterial fabrics. Organic cotton, linen, wool, and I use those materials because the body has a natural vibrational frequency of 100 when it's at its optimal health. Um, And those fabrics actually contain a higher vibrational frequencies. Muhammad says when this vibrational frequency is elevated, a person's physical well-being is at its peak. The human body is made up of molecules, which are constantly in motion, creating electromagnetic waves. This means that certain frequencies affect how the body functions. When you wear fabrics like that, it charges your body and gives energy to your body, ultimately making you feel better, doing good things for your skin, you know, um, that kind of thing. Muhammad's show-stopping puffer jacket and funky tribal trim kimono that led her to victory were made entirely out of recycled cotton. She also wrote an interesting phrase on both designs. I got embroidered on the back. It said, reach the world, but touch the neighborhood first. But like the hood and neighborhood was underlined for emphasis. Muhammad pays homage to her hometown of East Orange, New Jersey through her fashion. She said it would be considered a hood or not so great area in terms of funding and resources. And if it wasn't for my mom sort of taking initiative to like really go out and seek like programs to keep my brother and I occupied and just really give us an opportunity to fully flesh out our creative, you know, inspirations and dreams, then I wouldn't be who I am today. Muhammad wants to use her fashion to provide underserved communities with the same opportunities. Now is fabric workshops where I'm teaching about like the healing qualities of fabric and how that relates to sustainability, because oftentimes I do feel like black indigenous people of color are counted out of sustainability conversations. Muhammad believes that sustainability is an accessible concept. Because when you think about it, sustainability is nothing more than just resourcefulness, which is something we've all grown up knowing how to do, be it our mothers, our grandmas, whoever doing it, you know what I mean? Like taking whatever they could and making something out of it. That's really what sustainability is, you know. Muhammad says we can even take our sustainability a step further. It's cool that we're finding ways to recycle and like, you know, sort of take those things and make them anew. But I think it would be awesome if we could really turn our attention and energy to focusing on those like naturally occurring fibers, you know. And the solution is pretty simple. It takes you a little more time, like flip the tag, read it. You know what I mean? Does it say mm-hmm. it's 100% cotton, 100% whatever? A lot of times I feel like people have taken that out of their process. Like it's important to read and ask questions. And now we turn to the world of sports. WFEV's Miles Grossman has you covered with all things Yankees, Mets, and Brooklyn's very own New York Liberty. Starting out with the Kings of Queens, last night the New York Mets continued their West Coast swing in San Diego where they were shut out 7-0. And sadly for the Mets, the worst news of the day did not show up in the final score. Both Pete Alonso and Starling Marte exited this one with injuries. 
Marte had some tightness in his left quad. Pete Alonso got plunked on the right wrist. Both were said to have left the stadium early for a late-night MRI and were not available for media questioning. The Mets have been one of the best teams in baseball at 38-20, and and while last night was surely concerning for a handful of reasons, the Mets still hold an eight-game division lead over the second-place Atlanta Braves. The Mets will wrap up their San Diego series tonight before heading a bit north to Anaheim for a three-game set against Otani, Trout, and the Angels. But first tonight, it'll be veteran Chris Bassett on the bump against the Padres. Moving over to the Bronx now, the best record in the MLB at 40-15 and is held by the Yankees. They kept their stellar form going yesterday in Minnesota, where they dominated the Twins 10-4 behind a 3-for-4 night at DJ LeMahieu. Tonight will be Game 2 of the three-game set against the Twins, and Nasty Nestor will get the start for the Yankees, so it will surely be some must-watch TV. And wrapping up in Brooklyn with the New York Liberty, Sabrina Unescu led the Liberty to a win over the Lynx last night, 88-69. This was Sandy Brondello's first blowout win at the helm of the Liberty, and you could tell it felt good. Sabrina was in the zone all night, especially from deep, and given the Liberty's up-and-down form to begin the year, wins like this can certainly provide a lot of momentum. Following a seven-game losing streak, the Liberty have now won three of their last four, and that'll do it for the last 24 hours in New York sports. With WFUV Sports, I'm Miles Grossman. Miles, it looks like the Liberty are really turning things around. They sure are. Sabrina, 26 points per game over her last four. They sure are playing well. Thanks, Miles. Well, I had the opportunity to talk with author Alvin Eng. In his new book, Our Laundry, Our Town, he shares what it was like growing up as one of the few Chinese Americans in Queens in the 1970s and 80s. So, Alvin, summarize your book for me. I guess the summary could be even in the title, Our Laundry, Our Town. It really looks at how so many uh, Chinese immigrants really uh, worked in Chinese hand laundries. And uh, my, our family had a laundry in Flushing, Queens. So the hour laundry part is all about my childhood growing up in an immigrant family in Flushing, Queens. And ironically, even though Flushing's second Chinatown now, when we were growing up, I'm so old, we were one of the few Asian families there. Yes, it's, it's an Asian American story, but it's also very much a New York City story. That's our town. And uh, after the, my family and the laundry, the, I guess the theater and music and arts world really influenced me. Like um, even what was a really a psychic healing thing was after growing up and feeling like I, I never fit in anywhere, I discovered, well, I, I, I learned about, I didn't discover, I learned about um, the seldom discussed uh, Chinese influence on the Thornton Wilder play, Our Town, the Seminole, Seminole Americana play, Our Town. And then I got to go to China to, to teach a workshop in Hong Kong and perform my memoir monologue, The Last Emperor of Flushing in China. And that brought a lot of things together. So Our Laundry, Our Town, it's all about this journey of a Chinese-American sort of misfit finding his way, finding his voice in community, personally and professionally. Now, Alvin, I want to back up a little bit because you grew up in Flushing, Queens in like the 70s and 80s. So describe that experience. And you didn't speak fluent Chinese at the time. I still don't yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I regret it now, but you know, I re- like so many of our generations, like when you're young, you just want to fit in. And, you know, my parents were immigrants that they uh, they they were really fighting a lot. They they had to elude the uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was the first and God help us, the last American law that made it legal for one race of people to become people here, citizens here, rather. And then there was the McCarthy Red Scare that grew out of that. So growing up, I grew up in, in the shadows of the Cold War and, you know, um, People say it's a personality trait, but a lot of, uh, you know, the Chinese are very boisterous people, but yet when they came to America, at least, at least the poor immigrants, we had to lay low. They they inherited that. They felt like 
they didn't want to stand out. They would they'd be worried about being deported, picked off and everything. So my parents also had an arranged marriage. So we were rooted in like a different century. And in the 70s, everything was going crazy around us. So it was weird to, to put those two worlds together. And that's why the first world I found where I really fit in everywhere was first on the basketball court and then also with a, in punk rock circles. So that's why music plays such a big part. And in the book, we talk about how, you know, David Johansson, formerly of the New York Dolls and formerly of Buster Poindexter renown, uh, he changed my life because he, uh, as a Flushing High School student, he let me interview him and I wrote about him and then he befriended me. And then I became an unofficial part of the show. When they would do their punked up cover of the Four Tops, reach out, I'll be there. I would back up to the stage, give my glasses to a friend and David Johansson would jump on my shoulders and I would carry him through the crowd. And this is the seventies, we were still using wire. So as far as the mic cable would go, I would carry him. And then that, that experience and interviewing him changed my life. Alvin Eng's book, Our Laundry, Our Town, is out now by Fordham Press. On Friday, the FUV boat returns, celebrating Pride Month with a floating dance party at 7 o'clock. Proof of vaccination is required, and information is on the WFUV website. Well, that's our show for today. I'm Robin Shannon. And I'm Madison Colombo. Check back with us tomorrow for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org or wherever you get your podcasts.